You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. All right, I am here this morning. So is Aaron. Uh, this show is presented by Window Nation. If you're in the market for windows, call 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com and tell them that we told you to call. Scott Jackson will be on the show today with me, and we'll do the NBA with him and even mention, um, get an update from him on what he thinks the Wizards will do at general manager. I'll tease the NBA conversation by saying, Aaron, that I'm very happy that the Blazers covered last night, the seven. It, it went to seven at tip. Started to sweat at the end there. Yeah, I had Portland last night um, and gave that out on the uh, show yesterday. Um, but they blew a huge chance to win a game in this series. It was all on them, too. Um, I really felt like it was. Uh, I still don't think they're out of it, though. But we'll do uh, the NBA with Scott in a little bit. Uh, Aaron and I will uh, preview Game of Thrones, the finale, um, set for Sunday night. Um, We'll talk about uh, the end of one of the greatest television shows of all time. We'll do it at the end of the podcast, despite the fact that many of you, and now I think uh, closing in on 800,000 people, have petitioned for the final season to be redone. That would be fascinating. We get to to the end of Sunday night, and then all of a sudden HBO says, you know what, we're going to redo the final season and air it in 2021. Uh, the Nats beat the Mets yesterday 7-6 to to win their series with the Mets. And with the Phillies now having lost three games in a row, the Nats are just six back. It's a long season, people. A long season. Tommy had his charity event last night uh, at Shelley's. Um, great time. I was down there for it. Mike Rizzo was there, uh, the Nats GM. Dave Martinez, the Nats manager, after they beat the Mets, uh, stopped by as well. Really nice to see... Um, them support Tommy's cause uh, of uh, for the DC Grays, great cause, um, youth baseball in DC. DC Grays. Tommy's been doing this now, I think five or six years. Um, but Mike Rizzo was there, Dave Martinez was there, and I caught up with Rizzo a little bit. We chatted for a little bit, and he'll he'll come on the podcast soon. I'm not going to bother him, but he said he would absolutely come on. Um, so we'll find a, a, a good spot for him in the next few weeks and have him on the podcast. I've always liked Mike. He's one of my favorite GMs in town. Actually, probably my favorite GM in town. He's smart. He's tough. Um, he did tell me that Trey Turner, um, and I think the news broke this morning, maybe it did last night, that Trey Turner is going to be back in the lineup for this uh, series with the Cubs uh, this weekend. Scherzer, Cole Hamels tonight. It would be nice to see Scherzer get some run support, have him pitch well, See if the Nats can get to what I think would be their first three-game winning streak of the season. Uh, the PGA Championship, Scott told us, uh, Van Pelt told us yesterday, Brooks Kepka, um, And Kepka was in the midst of a, of a good first round when he said that, but he had picked him in, uh, in a golf pool that I'm actually in uh, that same pool with Scott. And Kepka went out and shot 63 yesterday, seven under par. Today, so far this morning, disaster all over the course. Rory McIlroy, who, by the way, was one of my two picks. For the majors, you get two picks in the pools in the pool that I'm in. Uh, I have Garcia and McIlroy. Don't ask me why. I, I, you can't use the same golfer twice during the course of the PGA season, and I've used a lot of good guys. I had Tiger in the Masters as one of my two picks. But McIlroy started the round five over par through his first four holes. Not good. 
and he's, he was as of now he's seven over, so no chance for McElroy. Um, and Scott did tell us yesterday. He said this is going to be a big boy leaderboard. It's not going to include McElroy, um, but so far Kepka and Dustin Johnson's making the big move here uh, early in the second round. So I, I agree with him. I think by the time we get to Sunday, it's going to be some big boys uh, on that leaderboard. And I think, you know, I am waiting to see if Tiger can go out and shoot a good number today to A, make the cut, because his plus two is probably going to be right near the cut line, probably inside of it. But uh, if he were to go a couple of, uh, you know, a couple over par today, he could be on the wrong side of the cut. But can he go out and shoot 68, 67 and get himself back into this thing? Uh, We'll find out later today. Uh, So Landon Collins, um, the Redskins safety acquisition, uh, big free agent acquisition from the New York Giants. He's been doing a ton of interviews over the last week. And last night I got caught up on um, several of them. And and I wanted to go through them with you, some of the quotes that he's had over the last few days uh, that I think are interesting. He was interviewed by Ian Rappaport. Uh, Ian Rappaport um, asked him, you know, about the quarterback, you know, Haskins and 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 what he thought of Haskins and and Collins said, "quote Honestly, I thought he was going to the Giants. Uh, that's who I thought they were going to get, meaning Haskins to the Giants. That's who I thought they needed, but they dis- they decided to go elsewhere. When I saw we picked him up, I was like, we just stole the best quarterback." Closed quote. That was Landon Collins talking about. Uh, Dwayne Haskins. He also had he, he also had this to say about Dwayne Haskins. He said, "Quote: He's a humble kid, very, very, very down to earth. Loves to smile, loves to play around. But when it comes to playing football, when it comes to putting in the work, that's what he's going to do. Great arm, great accuracy. I'm excited to have him. I know the organization is, and other teams are going to be afraid of him." Uh, so uh, said uh, Landon Collins. Um, he was also asked in another interview about, you know, the contract that he signed here and the Giants letting him go after four seasons. And he said, quote, I was kind of heartbroken. It was very, very eye-opening. Um, and then he, you know, he had told uh, ESPN on draft night, I'm more motivated than ever before. Um, uh, and, and he then said, about Haskins being picked up. And remember when Haskins was drafted by the Redskins on draft night, Haskins made the quote, the league done messed up, closed quote. And that quote, by the way, is going to be attached to Haskins for his career. Because if the league done messed up, you know, he he had, he, he was right. If he goes out there and kills it and Daniel Jones doesn't, um, the league actually done messed up. Uh, but if he doesn't go out and kill it and Daniel Jones ends up being the quarterback, he's going to look foolish for having said it. But that is a quote. Let's be fair here. You know, it doesn't matter how old he is. It doesn't matter, you know, the circumstance. When he fell to 15 and he believes he fell to 15 and Daniel Jones got selected before him and he made the comment, the league done messed up, that is a quote we're never going to forget. No one's ever going to forget that quote. Anyway, about that quote and about his reaction, Landon Collins told NewJersey.com, NJ.com, quote, 
He's he said we're ready to, he about Haskins quote he's ready to tear up the Giants defense for the next five years and continue on from there. I think we're going to get a Super Bowl title or a couple of them. Closed quote. So there you go. It doesn't take long, does it, for people to arrive in Ashburn and start overpromising. And it just, for whatever reason, and I'm not suggesting it doesn't happen in other places. It doesn't happen in a lot of places that actually, you know, win a lot and consistently. But in places where there isn't winning, you get a lot of, you know, bold predictions. You get a lot of boasting. And Landon Collins, I, I liked the signing. I'm in favor of them having signed Landon Collins. I know it was a lot of money for a safety. I said it at the time, and it was, but I like the signing because I like the player, and I like him. Everything I've read about him. Landon Collins is a leader in your locker room. He's smart. He's tough. He is going to be there, and, he's, and, and, and on top of that, he's a really good player. But isn't it incredible? incredible about what happens to these players when they arrive here. Now, maybe Landon Collins was a big talker in New York. You know, you may tweet me a bunch of his quotes from New York, and that's fine, but New York didn't win anything when he was there either. You know, they've been a losing organization for the last few years, uh, which he was a part of. But when you say about the new rookie quarterback who has yet to throw his first pass, who's already told everybody the league done messed up, And then you're going to add to that that he's going to tear up the Giants' defense for the next five years and continue on from there. I think we're going to get a Super Bowl title or a couple of them. But you got some you got some actions now that you you you've got to you you got to be out there and back up your, your 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 words. I mean, this is an organization that has told us and not showed us for a long time. In every offseason, and we always keep track of these things, whether it was the year where you know, Trent Williams and some of the offensive linemen were talking about this is the best offensive line in football, we're going to be a top-five rushing team, and then they ended up you know, closer to the bottom of the league. Ryan Clark came in, came back to Washington talking about this is the best secondary he's ever been a part of. Played with Troy Palomalu. And he's talking about the Redskins secondary is one of the best he's ever played with. You know, we've had the funny moments, ridiculous moments of Rex Grossman saying everybody's sleeping on us. We're going to win the NFC East. It is, it's unbelievable what happens. I don't I can't explain it. It's clearly part of the culture of being able to say whatever you want to say without any, without any consequence. And um, it's just... One of these days, perhaps, I'm not counting on it, I'm hoping for it, but one of these days, I'd actually like to see them, when the season starts, actually give us some action to back up the words. Give us some wins to back up the bold proclamations that seem to happen from about February until about August, late August. And then the season starts... And, you know, it's always someone else's fault. It's the injuries. It's this. It's that. And they seem to forget what they said. But Landon Collins predicting not one, not two, but probably two. <laughs> but, I mean, my God. have you? I, I don't know if anybody else had already seen 
these quotes or or any of them, and, and and maybe I just got around to them last night, but it is something else. Um, I want to get to uh, another thing real quickly because I read something very early this morning that I wanted to share with everybody, and everybody can go read it on their own. Um, it's in ESPN the magazine, which I think, by the way, Aaron is folding. Right? They're going to yes, stop they, producing. Well, the, the physical magazine, yeah. The physical magazine. So I still get the physical magazine delivered, and it's part of my ESPN subscription you know the, the whatever whatever i pay on an annual basis to get all of the premium content on espn.com they also send you as they have for years the physical magazine this is a story written by tom junod or junod uh, i don't know how it's pronounced it's j u n o d uh the story is called steph curry from deep um, and then the subheading uh, is before the Warriors guard could inspire a generation to believe that no shot was impossible, he had to believe it himself. This is the story of the relationship that helped unleash his powers. And it's a story primarily about his relationship with his college coach, Bob McKillop. Bob McKillop has been considered for a long period of time now one of the best college basketball coaches in the country. He coaches at Davidson. He's been there since 1989. He has over 500 wins as Davidson's head coach. He has had opportunities to take a much bigger step, but he has stayed at Davidson. He's an excellent basketball coach. Ask any coach at any level that knows anything about college basketball coaches, and they will tell you that Bob McKillop is a top five, no worse, no worse than a top 10 college basketball coach. There are some very interesting things in there about his relationship with Steph Curry, but that's not what I want to read to you. There's another story in here um, that gets woven into the the bigger story, which is Steph Curry's relationship with McKillop, the confidence that McKillop gave Steph Curry, the green light that he gave Steph Curry as long as Steph Curry earned it. There's a lot of good stuff about that. And then a lot of stuff with Steve Kerr and what Kerr learned about Curry, etc. But there's another story in here that I think, I don't know, it was really interesting to me and actually moving in a little bit um, in a little bit of a way uh, for me and I wanted to share it with all of you you can go and read it yourself but it was this in the midst of the story the reporter um, who by the way played high school basketball for Bob McKillop when Bob McKillop was the head basketball coach at Hol- at Holy Trinity High School in Hicksville New York many many years ago at some point during their sit-down interview, the reporter and Bob McKillop are speaking, and McKillop is talking about sort of the differences between handling kids today and handling kids way back in the day. And he said um, at one point, uh, he said, hold on, let me find it here. He said, the biggest change in basketball has less to do with the game itself than with the culture in which it's played in the kids who play it. They're different, McKillop says, because anxiety is such a reality in their lives, because they, re- they require greater sensitivity and greater attention to the balance between love and discipline. You have to be careful about what you say to them. You have to give them reassurance. The things that you experienced as a player back at Holy Trinity could never happen today. And I think a lot of you that are probably my age, a little bit younger, maybe older or a lot, a lot older, we've, we've had this sense, right, that 
the athlete today, the kid today, is just a different being that they have to be handled so much differently, you know, with more love, with more encouragement, with more assurance and less discipline. And McKillop says it, you know, he says they're different because anxiety is such a reality in their lives because they require greater sensitivity and greater attention to the balance between love and discipline. You have to be careful about what you say to them. You have to give them reassurance. And again, the things that you experienced as a player back at Holy Trinity could never happen today. And that leads into him asking the reporter, Tom Junod, who played for him in high school at Holy Trinity High School. He says, do you remember Timmy Timlin? And the reporter did remember Timmy Timlin. And he goes on to tell the story of Timmy Timlin. He said it was 1974. Timlin was a shooter with a Prince Valiant haircut. And when he came late for practice, McKillop thought he saw arrogance. McKillop said, I had to be the tough guy. I had to be the, had to be the hard ass. So I made him run suicides. Most of you know what suicides are, but for those that don't, basically it's you line up on one baseline, you run to the free throw line, then back, then to half court and then back, then to the other free throw line and back, and then full length court and back, sprinting all the way. And he said, I made him run suicides. I made him run until he said, coach, I can't run anymore. And I said, are you quitting this team? He said, I'm not quitting. I just can't run anymore. McKillop told Timmy Timlin back in 1974, then you're quitting, I said. And when he showed up the next day for practice, I said, what are you doing here? Don't you remember? You quit the team. Uh, And then the writer writes, coaching is a lot like parenting. You can't do it without making mistakes, but some mistakes you can't forget. And for McKillop, Tim Timlin is one of them because apparently, and and McKillop says this quote, apparently he doesn't forget either. Speaking of Timlin, I've been told that every time we play, meaning Davidson, he checks the score and it makes his day if we end up on the wrong side of the ledger. Closed quote. So something that has stuck with the coach and with that player for all of these years. At the very end of the story of this story about Steph Curry and Bob McKillop primarily, he comes back to the story of Timmy Timlin. And the reporter called Timlin for this story. And he said that um, when I find Tim Timlin on Long Island and ask him if he remembers Bob McKillop, He answers as though he had been waiting for the question. And he said, quote, I loved him. He coached me when I was playing JV ball and I was his leading scorer. But he asked me to quit football and devote myself to basketball. And when I told him no, he shook his head and that was it. I could never go to a game after that. My insides turned over every time I stepped into that gym. And that's never gone away. Closed quote. Now, he he sort of tells a story that's a little bit different in detail than the one McKillop t- tells. But the writer then tells Timlin, I tell him about what McKillop had said about him, about how his memory of what he'd done to Timlin had not, had not only stayed with him, but changed him and how much those changes mattered when it came to another great shooter who came along, and that was Steph Curry. And that's how he took that learning from 1974, and by the time Curry got to Davidson, 
that story of how he made Tim Timlin or threw him off the team had stuck with him. And Timlin said, quote, I forgive the guy. I was supposed to forgive him a long time ago. And the beauty of this is God giving me the chance to be a better man. It's about time I forgive him and start rooting for him a little bit. Tell him for that. He said, tell him that for me. Uh, closed quote. And then the writer says, I did. And I told McKillop and McKillop shook his head, his creased face, still unmistakably the kind of Irish Catholic face I grew up with, the face of the choir boy, the face of the cop, the face of the coach, the face of the confessional quote from McKillop. I should have, he said, quote, Bob McKillop says, quote, I should have told him I'm sorry a long time ago. It's one of those scars I have as a coach. Believe me, I have a lot of scars. You just don't think sometimes. You don't realize the weight of your words. But you keep learning, even if it's sometimes, even if sometimes the learning is painful. One of the things that has helped me in coaching is the kids today. They're different. If Tim Timlin was my player today, what I would do is still throw him out of practice, but then the next day ask him to come meet with me and explain to him what I was thinking. And what I need from him, instead of being the tough guy in charge of basketball coach, who's going to make a statement about him and win that war, close quote. And then the writer writes, he shakes his head again as if recovering from a slap or trying to snap himself out of a sleep. Then he smiles and says, quote, Timmy Timlin, he could really shoot it. You got his phone number by any chance? Closed quote. thought it was a really, really great story about this incredible basketball coach that I have followed as a huge basketball fan. Um, he, he's been one of the best and, you know, I think a lot of people can just relate to that in life where you've made a mistake many, many years ago and it hasn't been sort of resolved. And so this writer through this story looks like he's about to resolve that and that they're going to end up speaking, or at least he's got his phone number. Um, and uh, he'll call him. By the way, this, the, the, the portion of the story about Steph Curry is really, really good uh, as well. Uh, I would urge you to read it. I'm sure you can find it online somewhere, right? Uh, you don't have to get the physical magazine, I would think, to read that story. But it was really good. Uh, I don't usually do that, but I read that early um, this morning, and I thought it was really, uh, really good. Uh, all right, Scott Jackson's coming up here shortly. Um, and then we will get to a few other things. And, of course, we will do a Game of Thrones preview for the finale. I hope you're not, like, going to play dress-up and go to some party and watch it, Aaron. No, I'm, actually, I might have a party, but no, it would How be... can you have a party for a show like this where you've got too many people in the room that are talking too much? That, I, I, I don't, I, I don't I, understand I would that. people from talking. I don't understand the people that are planning to go to bars to no, watch no, no, this. No, no, no. Going to a bar, going to anything like that, no. It would be have people over, bust out the uh, the White Walker, Johnny Walker scotch that's in my freezer <laughs> oh, right Jesus. now and, and do shots every time someone dies. Hope it's a good scotch. Uh, quick word about Window Nation. It's graduation time, not just for schools, but it's time for your home to graduate. Up to new energy-efficient windows from Window Nation. And as a graduation gift... All window styles are 50% off. You choose bays, bows, double hung, wood, vinyl, any size, any color, 
all custom made and all at 50% off. Window Nation's massive buying power is a diploma in deals, and they pass the savings on to you. It gets even better. Make no down payment with no payments and no interest for 12 full months. And if you call Window Nation this week, take 50% off every window, plus get free, yes, free blinds with the purchase of a house of windows. New windows save energy, improve the look and value of your home, and they're now 50% off with no down payment, no payments, and no interest for a full year, plus free blinds. Call Window Nation today. You have no risk because they will come out to your home the next day and give you a free in-home estimate. And that estimate that they give you is good for a full year. The school year is about to end, and so is this deal. Call now, 866-90-NATION, or go online at windownation.com. That's 866-90-NATION or windownation.com, and tell them that I told you to call. All right, let's bring in Scott Jackson. Uh, of course, uh, Scott, uh, many years at 980 and still occasionally at 980 uh, and a longtime um, friend and coworker uh, for many, many years. And we've had him on the podcast already a couple of times. But I was thinking about, you know, having a conversation about the, the game last night and the two series, and I'd rather do it with you, but also – We've got a wizard situation, which is they still oh, don't yeah. have a general manager. So why don't we start there? Um, now that Denver's season is over, I'm assuming that Tim Connolly is the front runner. Am I wrong? Yeah, I mean, look, I've, uh, you don't have to be Adrian Wojnarowski to have been able to read the tea leaves here. That they've been obviously slow playing this thing for an opportunity to talk to Tim Connolly, who I think by all accounts would see this as a dream job. His wife uh, is the DC. Native, uh, he's a Baltimore guy. Grew up around here. Grew up in this organization, as we know. So, yeah, I mean, there's no question that uh, there's there's uh, there's an interest on both sides there, and it just I think it's going to come down to uh, do they make it worth his while to leave Denver, which is obviously a very good situation. He's built something pretty good there right now. Yeah, he has. They've got a good team, and they should have a good t- team for for a few years to come. Um, tell everybody who's not familiar with Tim Connolly what kind of GM you think he would be. Well, look, he, he's a guy who's grown up in the business. He wasn't, like, just given this job because he was some star player or anything like that. And I'll equate it to this. I used to, when I did the Wizards pre and post game, I used to sit next to this guy who worked for the Miami Heat. A uh, young-looking kid, didn't really know a whole lot about him, but he was scouting. He was their, one of their advanced scouts. And he used to uh, have this computer program to, that had the plays on it, and he would bring it back each time. Everybody else is writing on the old-school, you know, basketball tablets, you know, pen and paper, I should say pads and this guy had a computer and I started getting to know this guy over games and his name was Eric um, Eric Spolstra <laughs> and he you know he played at Portland State wasn't a star by any means but was a tough hard-nosed kid and he was just you know working his way through the heat organization next thing I know he was sitting behind the bench and then before I knew it he was sitting on the bench next to Pat Riley and eventually obviously was the guy who uh, coached them to multiple championships with LeBron James but you know I, I kind of look at Tim like that I saw him as a young guy in the Wizards organization assistant video director so I'm as an advanced scout. When I lived in Carolina and was working down there for a few years, I would run into Tim. We would keep in contact. I'd see him on the road, whether it be at Durham or Chapel Hill. You know, he was down there, you know, getting out of advanced scouting. He went to New Orleans for a while, was in that front office, worked with them during that weird transition where the league owned him. And obviously he's gone out to Denver and done some good things. And I think he's got a good grasp of the international player, which this organization outside of Sadoransky has not really had a very good grasp of the international player. Uh, before that, I think he's, you know, uh, understands kind of, you know, what kind what, what it needs to look like these days. I mean, he'll, he'll be the first to admit that he didn't expect the Joker to be what he is right now, but 
they still were smart enough to take him. I mean, they've look, they've, they've got, you know, some interesting things to come, you know, if he goes or stays. I mean, it's a good situation there. You know, they got Millsap's deal, but overall that's not like a crazy salary cap situation there. I just I just think he would, you know, give this thing some fresh eyes. I don't think it'd be an extension of the Ernie Grunfeld era, uh, like a lot of people want to say. I think he would do some things, you know, differently. Um, I don't know how much leeway he'd be given to, you know, maybe if he came in and said, hey, I want to move Brad Beal. I don't know if that would be allowed to happen, or maybe that's one of the conversations they're having now. Or would I be able to move John Wall? Not that I think it's even humanly possible, Kevin. But, you know, I, I just think it, it'll be a, a different. I don't think it's just going to be patchwork, like let's grab Dwight Howard, let's grab, you know, said veteran, this guy and that guy. I think it's going to be uh, a little bit more of the, you know, let's let's grow this thing, let's go to the draft, let's get young players in here, let's, let's develop some people and, you know, keep the ones we like and move the ones that uh, you know, we don't see fitting for some better assets at some point. You know, I think you and I were pretty much aligned for a long period of time that we thought the the discussion about Ernie Grunfeld was always exaggerated. You know, when people would say he's the sure. worst general manager in the game. No, he wasn't. Um, but he clearly wasn't one of the best. He's gone now. And I'm assuming you read that Candace Buckner piece from last week, I think it was. Um, we're really, you know, the quotes revealed – you know, a situation that was a situation that my partner, Tommy, you know, talked about for many years, which was it was just there wasn't enough discipline. There was too much, um, you know, entitlement for the best players in the organization. And ultimately, that that was a, a major problem. I mean, I'm an Ernie fan. I like him personally. I never thought he was terrible. I think some of the best trades of the last you know 15 years in the NBA, a couple of them were executed by Ernie Grunfeld. But do you sort of feel the way I do that it was time? I mean, I felt that way for a couple of years, actually, and that maybe the yeah. biggest problem he had is he was just too good of a guy. Yeah, I think that there was definitely time. And, you know, again, I, I think people need to also take the longer look here, right? Ted Leonsis has been, has been the owner for about 10 years. He was the owner waiting for the previous 10 as well, and he had his eyes on this team for a long time. So I think he had a good feel for what went on at the end of the Poland era and who was making some of those decisions. I mean, there's always things that happen in organizations that aren't all, you know, on the GM's plate. You know what I mean? Like he can want to do something, but he's going to do what his guy wants him to do, much like this year when he had to shed salary and move out a Porter on a deal to get under the luxury tax. I mean, that, that's certainly not something Ernie woke up and decided, hey, we got to get rid of the luxury tax. Right. He's not paying for it. I mean, that's, a, that's the owner who's deciding that. And I'm not against him doing that because, I mean, I think bad business to be in the luxury tax uh, unless you're the Golden State Warriors or one of those teams. I mean, Mark Cuban has been avoiding it like the plague after being in it for many, many years. So I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. And I just think at the end of, of the first era of Ernie Grunfeld, which was the Apollon era, you know, unfortunately they made some short-sighted decisions because there was this let's hurry up and win now for Abe, you know, right. kind of thing. And Abe, you know, That's true. And it, is, and it hurt them because they should have stayed in some drafts that they could have gotten some value in, a la the Steph Curry draft. Of course. And a few others, but, you know, those kind of things. But, yeah, I mean, I think it was time. I think at some point, you, you know, these, these guys, if you're not making progress, you you got you to gotta make changes. So I give Ted credit. I mean, I know it wasn't easy for him. Uh, he, he liked Ernie. He trusted Ernie. And, you know, and I think he was on board with a lot of the stuff Ernie did. And I think that would always be the interesting thing to find out that, we, that you never do in these situations because Ernie's not going to say anything bad about Ted and, and vice versa. But, you know, I, I think that's, that's always part of it. I mean, I don't think it's always just one person's decision. I think it's a group decision. And I think that's one of the things that has, you know, kind of I think publicly worked against Tommy Shepard here in this situation, which I think is too bad for Tommy because I do think Tommy, you know, given a chance, maybe it's going to have to be somewhere else could do well uh, as a GM, but it sure feels like right now the Wizards are all in on Tim Connolly, and if that doesn't work, I think Troy Weaver seems to be in the second-best position right now. The 
DC native who's got ties with Scott Brooks, you know, 10 years in that uh, Oklahoma City organization for him. And I think, uh, you know, I think that would be the fallback move if, if this thing doesn't work out with Tim. Um, before we get to, to the two, the four teams that are still playing, uh, you know, this is a franchise where, you know, it was just a couple of years ago, um, two in fact, where they were, you know, yeah. within a whisker of being in the Eastern Conference Finals as a healthy group with a team that looked like it would have a chance c- to contend for, you know, an Eastern Conference championship over the next few years. It was close to getting there. And with LeBron out of the conference, it would have looked even more, you know, plausible had they stayed healthy, had the team continued. But where do they go from here? You you clearly cannot trade John Wall. No one is going to take that contract and, you know, and and certainly the injury history. And they could be on the verge. And I I don't know what you think the chances of of Beal making, you know, the top three NBA, you know, all NBA teams. But if he makes the third team, he's going to be available for a super max extension. And what would they do then? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's a tough one. I think he actually has a real good chance. Of making the I mean, they, they've got to be rooting. Back. They've got to be rooting internally for him not to make one of those yeah, three yeah. teams. I know. I mean, the unfortunate thing is you really have to play this wall thing out, and history is not on his side when you look at Achilles injuries and speed players. I mean, for me, I hope to think wherever John Wall is right now, whether he can only sit in a chair or stand up with a cart, he's working on that broken jumper of his, and just I mean. He's got to reinvent himself, you know. He's got to have more to his game than just the, the change of speeds and blowing by everybody. I mean, he's a very good passer, and but he's not developed the way Bradley Beal's developed. Let's be honest, Bradley Beal has rounded his game up very nicely, has added a lot of things. You can watch Bradley Beal from day one to now and say, man, he's really taking it to another level. I think John had a chance to after that big season, the big game winner against Boston two years ago, and whether we want to blame the injuries or not. Remember, he was healthy during the whole stupid Wolf season debacle yeah. where he was, you know, out there wearing ugly sweaters and, and getting his ass kicked on a nightly basis by these elite players that he was supposedly going to go eat, you know, eat on. But I, you know, I, I think there's a lot of things, you know, about uh, the, you know, about the Ernie era, the, the failures and Scott Brooks, by the way, who's the head coach and Ted Leonsis, who's the owner it has been the John Wall thing. And I, and I think that was kind of missed in Candace's piece, to be honest with you. I mean, who cares about the regurgitated crap about Gilbert Arenas that happened, you know, 10 to 15 years ago at this point, we right. already there's, knew that there's stuff. more you recent stuff. stuff. There's a lot more recent stories yeah. that were totally blown sure. by on that piece that kind of kind of blew me away, and I think a lot of it was self-preservation because you got to live on that beat, and that guy's still the most important person in the franchise, even though he's not playing for at least another year. But anyway, uh, going back, I mean, they really are in the business of just hoping a guy John Wall shows up with the right mindset and comes back to, to prove everybody wrong that he's not done and that he gives them some type of value in the remaining years of that contract or at least the first year of it, so then maybe you could find somebody who would be interested in him. Uh, to move him you know I mean I think that's what you got to do I I just don't think there's an easy way out of it and I I don't know if you get better by trading Brad Beal I mean it sounds cool but hey we got all these picks back or you know whatever you get this guy that guy but I mean you got to explore it I'm sure if you're the new guy whoever that ends up being whether it's Tim or somebody else you got to think about it but man you finally have a guy who's really developed on your watch you know that you drafted you know much like John was before you know it kind of went off the rails you know the last couple seasons uh, you know, and Sadoransky is another one, but there's been too many, you know, obviously uh, stories of, of guys that didn't get better that were here and then, you know, went other places and won, you know, and it was frustrating. But, you know, that's that's a tough spot, man. I, I don't know what they're going to do if, if it comes to the Supermax or Brad. I really don't. It's a it, it's a t- tough 
point in this organization right now. It's amazing how quickly things change in just a few years. And they could have changed their fortune the other night um, in the lottery, oh, yeah. uh, but but it went it went sideways. Now it doesn't mean that the ninth pick overall won't end up being the best player in this draft. You never know how that works out. Um, but they, right, they, right. they they haven't been able to identify that player. It seems like that player always goes five, six, seven spots after. Uh, their first round selection, Kawhi Leonard, Steph Curry, et cetera, and they traded away that that pick in, in yeah. uh, 2009. All right, um, let's talk about the two series. First of all, do you think the Blazers I, – I still think the Blazers are going to win a game or two. I, I thought they would win two. They yeah. blew a chance last night, and I, I didn't spend a lot of time talking about the game, but I thought one of the real interesting things about that game is that they turned it over so much in game one, and then the, you know for whatever reason they, they were having – a difficult time down the stretch with the double off the pick and roll. Lillard in particular looked really shaky, you know, at times. But I think I still think they're good enough to win two games in this series. Do you? I, they got to win Game Three. If they don't oh, win yeah, Game Three, I mean, this could be the first sweep uh, we've seen for the Warriors because the Warriors usually don't make you know don't do these four in a row deals. But um, yeah, look, I, I think they still have the chance to uh, win some games. I don't think they'll win the series. I, I said this last week on a radio. When Durant was out, I said, "Look, you guys are crazy if you think Houston's winning the series. It's not going to happen." Um, you know, Steph Curry uh, had been hearing all the crap for weeks about how he wasn't as good as he used to be. He's been sacrificed, and Draymond Green sacrificed, Clay Thompson sacrificed. You know, for Durant, I mean, all these guys. And the ball moves better when KD's not on the floor because it has to. And it's incredible to watch them play. It's beautiful actually to watch them play. The way they move it, the way they trust each other. I mean, they're throwing alley-oops to Keevan Looney, for goodness sake, oh, late yeah. this game on some critical possessions. Yeah, and he's finishing for them. So, you know, they, they look they look like a team that, you know, is a champion, and they are. And even guys that weren't part of – or big parts of those championships now are stepping up for them. And I think it's great to watch. And I, and I think that my bigger takeaway is that Portland's not a good defensive team. Oh, they were terrible last uh, night. Terrible you know, last night. They're terrible last night and terrible in game one, too. Game one, they were blaming the big, but I'm with you. I was more about – Last night, you know, Lillard and then C.J. McCollum, you know, some crappy possessions offensively that led to some bad defense as well. I mean, even Seth Curry throwing the ball into the front row to cancer. But I will say this. If you're on the bench and you're standing up, put your damn jer- put your uh, warm-up jacket on over your jersey. Because he looked like he was in play. <laughs> oh, on, that, on, on, the set, on the Seth Curry yeah. turnover. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He looked like he was on the floor because he's standing up with his jersey. I was like, hey, dummy, put a, put a sweat jacket on or something, you know, <laughs> or sit down. But anyway, um, I, I just think, look, you're seeing – I don't want to be too hard on Portland because I also think we're seeing a championship team do what a championship team does. Now, I heard uh, Charles Barkley, who was always the most entertaining person in the NBA, say this morning they, they can't win against Milwaukee without, you know, without KD. I mean, everybody's like moving the goalposts on, the, on, the, on them. You know, first they couldn't beat Houston without KD. Yeah, now, then they couldn't well, beat he didn't think they'd be Portland. Now, oh, okay. Yeah. Right, now you can't beat Portland without KD. Oh, but now you, can beat, you can't beat uh, the Bucks without KD. I mean, whatever. I mean, I think they can do whatever they want. I think we forget they would have had two in a row before the summer of KD had the NBA decided they didn't need LeBron to win that championship so badly uh, in Cleveland when they obviously, um, you know, kicked Raymond Green out for two games, which is excessive. I mean, that was ridiculous. But anyway. That I think that's uh, you know what we're seeing right now. I mean, it's a team that they trust each other. They just they they make all the right plays at the right times. And you know Curry's you know getting to, getting to shine now. After everybody's like, well, he's stuck stuck in the playoffs or in the championship round, I should say, for all these years. He's never been the MVP, the finals, blah blah blah. Well, now when they need him to be more of himself, he can be. 
Yeah, um, the uh, a couple of things that that you that you said there. Couple of things um, off of what you said. First of all, it has been, you know, it's cliche to say heart of a champion, but what we've seen, you know, starting in the third quarter, late third quarter of Game Five against Houston, is really the definition of what a champion does. I mean, and and uh, you know, you, you had mentioned before about about you know the Draymond Green absence in the year that they lost to Cleveland. If he's there for Game Five, they win that series four one, and they've got two in a, two in a row, and, and LeBron never gets. The, the title in Cleveland. And it's it was a championship team without Durant. It's just very odd to think that you can take, arguably, and this has been debated over the last few weeks, the best player in the NBA off of a team, and that team can still be a championship team. But um, yeah, one of the things I, I, I'm so frustrated in watching Portland, and I think Terry Stotts does a pretty decent job, but they have, for whatever uh, for whatever reason, they've been flummoxed by this trapping off the pick and roll, and it's really worn Lillard and, and McCollum out here in the first two games, and it turned them over a ton in game one. They should just use McCollum as the screener, or they should screen for each other, because once they do that, it's going to be really hard to trap the ball if you can dump it off to the guy dropping right into the middle of the floor, and that guy's not Myers Leonard or Harkless, but it's actually either Lillard or McCollum if they're doubling off that 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 screen and that that pick and roll. I don't know why they haven't done that yet, but they should. But um, back to Durant for a moment. Like I have a sense that they can't beat Milwaukee. I don't know that I felt that way as they were, and I was rooting like like hell for them to beat Houston in Game 5 and then Game 6. You know, I'm still waiting for the Houston, Scott, the, the Houston report that shows that 5.7 points were taken away from them in Game 6 uh, with all of the <laughs> missed calls. There were 175 yeah. fouls with all the missed calls. I, I yeah. mean, they're such losers um, in, in the way yeah, they've handled themselves over the last year. But Milwaukee and and. I, I did not believe in it before this, the playoffs started because I, I always felt you've got to earn it and this would be the year that they'd win a series, maybe two, but then that would be it. They can't win a title. That comes next year or the year after, but they are the best team. I mean, I think I think Golden, Golden State would be in a bit of trouble in the finals against Milwaukee. I'd be rooting for them. And, and I'm rooting for Toronto, actually. I hope they can make it a series. I don't think they can. But I think they do need Durant. That's the one thing Barkley has said, and you said that he said that this morning, and I think I read that. I think they do need him to beat Milwaukee. Well, it would seem to, right, because you need the, this tall, slender guy to deal with the other tall, slender guy <laughs> who goes out there. I, I think it would be an interesting series. I, I think this whole thing has become so much more interesting without KD playing. And I, you know, hey, I Me too. I, I again, totally but, agree with that. Uh, but I think it's been more interesting. I think it would have been boring had he played. I think it would have been quick work with all these series, including the Houston series. Not that it wasn't anyway without him. But, um, you know, yeah, I think they, they, they could use him. I haven't really gone that far yet and really breaking down every single matchup or what have you. But, yeah, Milwaukee Pierce is a deeper team. They'd also have the home floor, uh, which, you know, is a big deal, obviously, for them. And, you know, that happened to be in, you know, Oakland, you know, four times, only three times if it goes seven. So that's huge as well. But, you know, I wouldn't – I would uh, I would not count out, you know, the Warriors. And, again, what, what do the Warriors look like getting through this thing? Can they get through this series quickly and get some rest? Um, you, do they suffer any more injuries? I mean, they can't afford – this is the thing without FKD. Like, you can't lose any of the Hampton Four now, right? I mean, you can't afford anybody to get whatever, whether it's Curry with a, another finger issue or a hamstring or whatever, or play with an ankle. You know what I mean? You can't have any of that now or Draymond with a – suspension i mean those are the things that you, you kind of guard against now if you're the warriors and that's why 
think these next few games are held, whether Portland wins it or not, are important for whoever's sitting on the other side of the East, right? If Portland can kind of drag this thing out a little bit, uh, if nothing else, then that's huge for the for the Eastern Conference champion because if you get uh, Golden State sitting there waiting and the other series is dragging on a little bit, uh, I think that's a tough scenario too, especially to get KD back on the floor. Who's, you know, they've already ruled him out of games. It sounds like three, four, and five the way they're talking about it. But um, at least for three and four, for sure. But I, I think it's you know any way it breaks down, I think it's interesting. And uh, either the wear down impact, you get a one or two about Portland. I saw that the other night. It looked like Kawhi Leonard. Huh? Funny. I mean, maybe. Your wind was a little stronger from playing this year. Maybe, maybe you wouldn't have worn down late in the fourth quarter. I don't know. Just kind of weird when you see stuff like that when people are on a pitch count all year, and then you need them to do a little bit extra, and it seems like they get tired. Well, yeah. I, I mean, given the minutes that he had to play in the last series, I mean, I've I've enjoyed watching him. I don't know what the hell happened in San Antonio, um, but he's been phenomenal. The, the conversation before Durant got heard about who the best player in the game was because we were seeing three unbelievable playoff runs from Durant, Kawhi, and Giannis um, with no LeBron to talk about. Uh, Leonard's as good as any of them in terms of you know uh, both ways, defensively and offensively. He's a terrific player. He's a terrific player, but the conversation about him being on the same level as number 23 is vomit-worthy because that guy actually played 82 games every year, and if you would have ever – stood in front of Michael Jordan with a microphone and asked him if he needed a minute's limit, he would have shot you a stare <laughs> that made you look like you were going to you, you had laser beams coming through your body. And, and he did that at the age of 40 to people who would ask him about minutes when he was with the Wizards. So could you imagine in his Bulls days when he was the best player in the world, not even there wasn't anybody close to him? I mean, that's, that's what kind of blows me away with all this stuff that goes on, all the technology and all these teams want to tell you how smart they are and with all the analytics and, and all the, the you know medical things they have, and then they let this guy play, you know, what, two-thirds of the season just to have him ready for this time of year, and now we're wondering if he's wearing down. I'm like, really? And you're gonna somebody's going to go gaga and pay how much money for him this offseason and make him the face of a franchise potentially, and you, you're going to tell people to buy season tickets, but you can't ensure them he's going to actually show up for a game just because it's a night of built-in rest? I mean, come on, what's the world coming to? Uh, I, I can't stand any of the conversations comparing anybody to 23, including um, the more recent uh, number 23. Uh, but that's, that's <laughs> Yeah, that me. one too. Um, but, well, he uh, already picked his retirement plan in L.A., so we're not even talking yeah, about it right Yeah, now. Except, except now there's you know potential he, he may end up in Philadelphia. I, that, that would How be, great would that, that be? That would be awesome. How great would but, that be? But one of the things about the Bucks, and I was just looking for this as you were speaking, and I can't find it anywhere, but I think I read it like two, three weeks ago, that any that if you go back, uh, you know, they won like 40 games by, I think it was 15 points or more. Maybe it was double digits or more. It was some some sure. statistic where they crushed people this year on, on the regular. I mean, 60 wins, but so many of them, I think it was 40 of them were by double digits or more. And if you go back through the history of the game to find teams that were that dominant in the regular season in terms of just blowing people out, they basically won the title. You know, they would go on and it would prove out yeah. uh, in the postseason. I didn't believe in him. I've watched him enough. Now, I think Kyrie was a loser and he tapped out and 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 that, yeah. you know, they had Giannis actually uncomfortable in those first two games. Like, he actually looked off and looked tight and they yeah. couldn't take advantage of it. They took advantage of it in game one, couldn't take advantage of it in game two. And after that, once he got on a roll, um, it's tough. Plus, that's a good team around him. You know, Chris Middleton's Damn good. Eric Bledsoe's good. Brogdon back. They're good. I, I, 
I totally agree with you that the this postseason has become so much more intriguing without Durant playing for Golden State. Um, and if they get to the finals without Durant, that'll be very interesting. I, Scott, I think they could be an underdog potentially if they get to the finals without Durant. I think it's a pick 'em series somewhere around there, which would be incredible with Milwaukee being there for the first time and Golden State being a four time you know, champion. Um, well, if you think some of these attention. NBA, uh, if you think some of these NBA reporters that are so uncomfortable with the idea of Zion Williamson playing in a market like New Orleans, imagine how uncomfortable they're going to be if Milwaukee becomes the toast of the NBA. I mean, I've never <laughs> been part of it, watching a league where people are so concerned about where somebody plays and what city and marketability and all this crap in 2019, where it doesn't really seem to matter. I thought like. The NFL debunked this years ago with the with the Packers, Packers. And the Colts that you know if you you know if you have stars it doesn't matter people will still show up and care you know and you'll get ratings. Well, but, I thought I mean, the end. I thought I'm so I, amazed. I thought it had been debunked in the NBA with LeBron and Cleveland and Durant, Westbrook right. and Harden in Oklahoma right. City. Right. I mean, give me a break. Right. I mean, I thought so too. But yeah. but but Golden State, by the way, was one of the most irrelevant franchises in the league until the Splash Brothers showed up. I mean, let's be honest; nobody cared about them. Nobody I mean, did. They were a joke in their own city. Nobody in their own did. city, they weren't getting people to go to the game. They, now they're, they're like you know the toast of the league. There were there were young people that that just figured based on their name they actually played in L.A. Like they were the third team in L.A. <laughs> not North not not Northern right. California. I'm serious. I I remember a conversation yeah. with one of my kids' friends a few years ago when Golden State got really good, wow. and he was convinced they played in LA I said no they actually play in oh, the fantastic. Bay Area um, but anyway uh so you you we, we both like Golden State to get through I think Portland does have Absolutely. a chance to play well at home and win a couple of games and even though I'd love to see Toronto do it um I, I like I, I had Milwaukee in five before and it may be you know it may be quicker work than that because the opportunity that Toronto had may have been in game one similar to you know sort of the early se- series opportunity that maybe Boston had yeah you, no you, doubt, and it was surprising to me is the way that Brooke Lopez showed up the other night. I mean, I don't think you're going to see that again tonight. But, but he can shoot it. He's he always had a good it. shot. Yeah, but like that, that no. kind of shooting was yeah. incredible. That was just gravy for them. And, you know, all of a sudden what's weird about Toronto is remember a few seasons ago, this was such a deep team. That's all we ever talked about is depth, depth, depth. Now we're like, well, where's the depth coming from? Like, you know, who's going to come in and give them some quality minutes off the bench? And suddenly that's a real mystery for, for Nick Nurse and the Raptors. Yes. Uh, all right. What else do I have for you? Um, see the Landon Collins quote from the other day about winning Super Bowls. Um, yeah, in yeah. And now, and now, Josh Norman's making jokes about uh, Gettleman working for the Redskins or helping the Redskins or something. What? I I, mi- I missed that. What did Norman yeah, say? Yeah, that's a new one. Oh, uh, that's a new one today. It's on Pro Football Talk, making jokes about you know he hates Gettleman. Obviously, Gettleman ran him out of Carolina. Right. So he was just making some comments about how Gettleman's helping them by running the Giants. You know, of course they have. I the, think we uh, need to put him on salary. Norman said. Oh, there you go. There you go. Well, you know what? I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure everything they're they're talking about will play out once the regular season starts. As as our good friend Richard Walker once said. Nobody does Monday through Saturday better than the Redskins. It's just Sundays that seem to be the problem. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll tell you what. I, you know, look, uh, I'm like everybody else. I'm, I'm hopeful and I like the draft, but I, I got to see it in practice. There's just, you know, hey, there's just forces, as you know, sometimes that just seem to uh, work against it. But we'll we'll find out. We got to wait, though. I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I'm really. 
don't know about you. I get worn down every day seeing the tweets about how great the season's going to be, and they haven't even had a uh, training camp yet. It's unbelievable what they do um, yeah. this time of year. Here's the quote from Norman. Uh, you, you read it, but there, there's more. He said, if we have an alliance with that guy, I think we need to put him on salary. They need to protect Dave Gettleman at all costs up in New York for sure. Protect that man at all costs because he's winning for us. Closed quote. Oh, boy. God, I mean, uh, we're going to own the Giants for the next few years. This is going to be awesome. I mean, dude, remember how right. how great that Nor- that Greg Norman, you know, Odell Beckham Jr., you know, rivalry turned out for the two best teams in the NFC East? How about those, you know, magical matchups between the two when the Giants and the Redskins were playing for all those playoff stakes games? God, yeah. that was awesome to watch the last few years. Uh, <laughs> it's incredible. All right, um, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks. All right, buddy. Take care. Thanks. Quick word about three, two, one. All right, thanks to Scott uh, Jackson, um, who um, actually the one thing we didn't talk about uh, at length is Zion and all the discussion about Zion Williamson and him potentially going back to Duke. I think we talked about it a little bit yesterday with Tommy and you had mentioned, I guess, earlier, um, you know, before we got started, that there's some Richard Jefferson meme going around where he's just basically mocking Brian Windhorst and others that 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 had for a thought for a moment that Zion might be heading back to Duke. Yeah, I mean, it's while Windhorst, I guess, uh, they're on the same set and Windhorst is talking and Jefferson just looks right at the camera and just shakes his head. <laughs> Good for him. I mean, he's going to – by the way, what's so bad about New Orleans – I don't get. I'd love to go to. Let, let's move the show to New Orleans. Yeah, I mean, when did New Orleans become like this? This town that nobody wants to go to. It's a phenomenal place. I get it's not one of the top markets, no. but like, if he goes back into the draft, which again he'd never do, but let's pretend he would. There's about a 50-50 chance he'd go to a worse market than New Orleans. No doubt. That's a that's a really good point. Like he could end up in, you know, God forbid, you know, a place like Orlando. Minnesota. Okay. Well, actually, you know, Minneapolis isn't a terrible place, but it's Sacramento. Worse than New Orleans. Like what if he ended up in Sa- I mean, he could have ended up in Memphis. Um he's in New Orleans. You know what? He just strikes me as a guy and I know that people were hung up on sort of the facial expressions and the reaction when it became New Orleans. I just have this belief he's going to New Orleans and he's going to try to kick ass because he just he's the guy that when everybody was talking about, oh, you can't come back and play, you know, when he got injured, he couldn't wait to get back and play. Um, There's something about him that I think reeks of quality person like inside. I I don't that's the way I think. Could he pull an Eli Manning? He could. I guess he could do that. Um, but I don't think he will. Uh, that's my prediction. Jay Williams this morning was talking about him going to Europe potentially and making even more money in Europe and getting a cut of the revenue with a, a team like Real Madrid or some other, Barcelona or one of those you know Euro teams. Um, I don't see it. I see him in New Orleans next year playing. And I have no idea what to think of Anthony Davis. I, I'll just still stick with what I said two days ago, which is I, if he really wants out, I don't know that the drafting of Zion Williamson is going to change his mind. I think he wants to, to go somewhere uh, bigger and better. I think Zion will be in New Orleans next year. 
A quick word about launch workplaces. Uh, If you're looking for new office space or you're working from home and you need a, a small office or a desk a couple of days a week, consider launch workplaces in Bethesda. They've got flexible and affordable private office solutions so you can get work done. It's a beautiful new space. Uh, They've got fully furnished offices, conference rooms, co-working desks, high-speed internet, complimentary drinks, cafe, parking all available. Um, Parking's available, I'm sorry, plenty of it, 24-7 access. You can get more work done today by moving your office to launch workplaces in Bethesda. They've got other locations too, um, and you can find out where all of those are at launchworkplaces.com. Call today for an exclusive free two-day trial, 240-867-14, or launchworkplaces.com. We'll get to the Game of Thrones uh, finale preview in a moment, but I did want to just mention one NFL, uh, you know, transactional thing that I uh, read about um, earlier this morning, and that is what the what the Ravens uh, have done um, here over the last twenty four hours. First of all, they signed the speed pass rusher that I thought the Redskins could get for next to nothing, and I think the Ravens got him for next to nothing. And I know he's coming off injuries, but they they signed Shane Ray. He was a guy that I wanted the Redskins to think about in free agency because he is a true speed guy. He's had injuries, wrist injuries, other kinds of injuries. And, you know, there's been a few character red flags, I think, but he's a talent. Uh, The Ravens signed him. They also signed Michael Floyd. They also brought back Pernell McPhee. So they, they signed two Redskins from last year, Pernell McPhee and Michael Floyd, and the guy that I wanted the Redskins to sign during the offseason uh, in Shane Ray. So um, just a couple of transactions there. But Michael Floyd, I mean, man, people keep giving him a shot. You know, they, they love his talent. They love his size. They love his talent. And people are going to keep giving him a shot. He had 10 catches last year for the Skins with a few drops, if you recall. Um, but uh, he is uh, a Raven. And on Shane Ray, you know, Ray said, I've got a lot of football left in me and some of the best football is still in front of me. He is an exceptional talent. If he puts it together, he was a first-round pick in, in 2015 in Denver. Um, I just th- that's the kind of guy that I'd roll the dice on for next to nothing in terms of money. All right, um, Sunday night. Sunday night, here it is. First of all, the story now continues to grow. It's closing in on a million people who have signed a petition um, that's, that has a very, that, that, from, from fans of the show, that want a, an entire last season redone. They want a new last season redone. I mean, this is ridiculous. <laughs> this is it. You don't always love it, and it's a very subjective thing. There are people that have enjoyed it. I've enjoyed the final season. As I've said, I've got a lot of nits to pick, and I, but I, I predicted that it was going to feel rushed and there were going to be some things that we didn't like. I don't know why from the jump this wasn't going to be a 10-episode final season, why they've tried to rush it into six. The, the weird thing coming out from there is that, according to some people, HBO did say, hey, you can have some more episodes. So why didn't the, they? The showrunners didn't want it. They said they didn't need it. Which is a big problem, if true, because they very clearly did need it. Whatever, you know, even if you liked it, I think most people will agree that it could have used another episode or two. Look, the complaints from my standpoint are 
first and foremost, the battle uh, uh, with with the White Walkers, the Battle of the North, the Battle of Winterfell, what, however you want to describe it. I don't even know what the name of that episode was. The Long Night was. The it name was of the too episode. dark. It was just too effing dark. That was a problem. I, I, I clearly was not the only person to complain about it. It was a massive complaint about that episode. How did they let that happen? Um, I know that a lot of it perhaps was intentional to create this feeling of total chaos, but it really was difficult to watch that episode, a lot of it. That's my number one complaint about this this particular season. The second thing is I just think they missed, they left some stuff up to the imagination that in the past with more time we would have seen play out, like what we talked about. John actually having that conversation and seeing the reaction of his two sisters when he told them that he actually wasn't their bastard brother, that he was actually their their blood cousin, their blood first cousin. We never got any follow-up to that. I've mentioned to you that I do not understand the Arya uh, you know, uh, storyline right now. I mean, after she kills the Night King, since she killed the Night King... First of all, she's not even at that big celebration dinner, and she gets barely a toast from Daenerys about Arya Stark taking down the Night King and she's the hero. And and then she leaves Winterfell without telling anybody, shows up in King's Landing without telling anybody, and is in the midst of all of the fire and carnage with the Hound, and her brother, who it's not her brother, it's her cousin, is and and by the way, Daenerys, who has already you know has made the only statement about Arya taking out the Night King, is torching a city and she's in the middle of it, barely surviving. That didn't make a lot of sense to me. And I would agree that Cersei and Jaime's death was less than satisfying. Cersei's death, in particular, was less than satisfying. Other than that, I think there have been some really incredible moments. I liked both of the first two episodes. I thought, you know, there wasn't a lot of, you know, there wasn't a lot of blood, wasn't a lot of gore, but I liked both of those first two episodes. And I think we saw two of the most emotional moments of this final season last week, Tyrion and Jamie's uh, farewell, and then, you know, Arya and the Hounds, you know, goodbye. I loved both of those moments. Overall, I would give it like a B minus the final season. I'm not going to give it an A, but I'm not signing any petition saying give me a whole new final season. You feel differently though. I'm I'm no, I don't feel overly differently. I am a little more disappointed than you were. I do feel it was a lot more I feel like it was very rushed. I feel like, you know, for a final se- season for as you said, you know, something that's at least in the conversation or was in the conversation for the greatest TV show of all time. Like, this is a stumbling at the finish line a little bit. And it's very disappointing. I, I think the petition's kind of ridiculous. But you know what? We got a million people saying that they should replay the NFC Championship game because <laughs> yeah. the refs got that wrong, too. So you know what? I, I get it from the, the kind of anger perspective. And by the way, for those who the, the book readers who are like, oh, well, we just got to wait for George R. R. Martin to get it right. I don't know if he gets it right either because he's messed up a lot of things along the way that the showwriters actually fixed in the show. So f- for that standpoint, I don't trust George R.R. R. Martin to get it right. Anyways, that's, and that's assuming he actually finishes the books at all. Boy, I feel, um, I, I, I can only imagine the anxiety that um, 
Dan, uh, what are the, what are their names again? The two producers, uh, Ben Off and Weiss. Yeah, uh, the, how they will watch this final episode? Oh, they, they said they said before the season even started, which people are now going back and quoted. Uh, for the last few episodes, we're getting far away from the internet and drinking a lot. Um, how long is this final episode? Eighty minutes again. Eighty minutes. Um, all right. You want to make a couple of predictions? Why don't we go? I, I I think one of the things that we should do is let's go down the list of main characters and just say dead or alive at the at the end of this episode. Okay. All right. Uh, let's start with Daenerys. Dead or alive? Dead. At the end of, I agree. Very who, dead. Who kills her? I'm going to go John. Yeah. He, he's done nothing this entire final season. Most Killing... of the main characters have done. Did you realize Cersei well, did nothing but like stand I know. at the window? There was barely even any dialogue with yes. Cersei this entire final yes. season. I mean, other that, than the, the dialogue other... with Euron and the dialogue at the end with Jamie and a couple of conversations with Kyburn. That's be, been it. Be, beyond the frustration of her death, the fact that she was just so... You you know use so sparingly this season might be the biggest crime. Um, what about Drogon? Uh, if, if, yeah. if you think Daenerys dies, th- then Drogon dies too. There, I mean, there are ways you can write it out where he doesn't die. I will say, what it, then? Then who who does he represent moving forward? He doesn't have to. I mean, don't forget earlier in the show he did fly away from Daenerys. Yeah, true. So there's a situation you could write in where he does you know, fly back across the sea or whatever. I will say probably dead, but I'm not as confident as Daenerys. Um, I will go with probably the favorite to kill Daenerys, which is Arya. Okay. I would think she's the favorite to kill Daenerys at this point. Don't you think so? Um, I mean, her or John. Or Tyrion. I can't see Tyrion kill. Unless it's... He's killed before. Yeah. Nah. All right. So we both think she's dead. What about John? I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say that if he's not on the throne, and I think at this point it would almost feel weird if he ends up on the throne after all this, that he has to die. How, there, Unless he takes the black again. I, 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 part of me just thinks that John is not going to end up on the throne unless the throne is moved. I mean, potentially, could they move the throne to Winterfell? They could. I mean, they could do whatever. They don't have to have well, someone I, sit on the throne, hypothetically. Well, but th- what are the odds of that? You're you're, check, you're, I, you're checking stopped, out all the I've Vegas odds. I stopped looking at the odds because I mean, it, too, but too is, many leaks and spoilers. Is one of the prop bets nobody sits on the throne at the I, end I'm of the I'm sure thing? there's a field. Yes, I'm sure that's part of the bet. I, I haven't looked because there's too many leaks and stuff out there, so I didn't want to see it. Uh, I think if you are right that John is the one that kills Daenerys... I think John dies in the process. Yes, agreed. Well, you just said that you think he's going to li- live, but no, then no, he's no. going to kill Daenerys. Oh, did I say he's going to live? No, I think that you I You think said, John's going to die or, or live? I said if he's not on the throne, which I'm thinking okay. less and less of, that he has to die. I think John dies. I think yes. John dies in some sort of confrontation with Danny and Drogon. And they, they all three of them end up done. Uh, Tyrion. Lives. I think so, too. I think Tyrion ends up alive, and I actually think he ends up being the hand of the queen. So you have Sansa. I, I have Sansa. That would be more uh, more satisfying than my concern. What's your concern? Bran. I know, me too. I'm really <laughs> concerned about that. 
it, it would make no sense in the story. It makes absolutely no sense. He doesn't care about people. I, it, it doesn't. He he doesn't care about being on the throne. Not, not he just, doesn't consider he, himself a person. Yeah, not just he doesn't care about being on the throne. Like he, he doesn't says, care he about doesn't the betterment want. of people. He doesn't want, and he doesn't care about the betterment. He cared about not you know humanity not dying to the the White Walkers, right? But he doesn't care about people. Like he'd be awful on the throne, and it makes no sense. And I'm really worried they're going to do it. Sansa's the only one that spent of the Starks that spent significant time down south yes and she knows the south now i don't know what's left what we saw yeah, is a nuked out king's yes. landing so i don't even king's, know what king's that landing's means. not a thing anymore but i think Tyrion's uh, it lives i think sansa lives i think sansa ends up being the queen and and sitting on the throne aria i believe lives yeah yes i will say if she is the one if drogon dies she's the one who kills drogon I could see a situation where they go out together, but I would say, I I would say the favorite is her living. Um. So who who are we missing now? We're Grey missing. Worm's dead. Grey Worm's <laughs> Who kills Grey? Well, Grey Worm dies in the midst of protecting Danny. Yes, one hundred percent. Um. What about? I mean, Brienne's going to be involved in something in this final episode because you know that Sansa is going to be a big part of this final episode. So. Brienne, dead or alive? I'll say alive. I'll say alive too. Like I, I, and this would be satisfying for me actually if it ends up being the Starks sort of win out here with Tyrion. Look, some people think Tyrion may marry Sansa. I don't, but I think I could definitely see Tyrion end up being the hand of the queen. Right. The second time being the hand of the queen. Right. Um. What about third time? Wasn't he the hand of the king for? Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah. Um, with with it was Joffrey. Yeah, with Joffrey. Yeah. What about Davos? Davos what about... is the one I'm trying to figure out right now because I feel like he's he's survived long enough that something's coming to him. Whether it's a big moment, whether he kills Grey Worm, or whether he ends up getting like a big position, something's coming to him. I can't quite figure out. I could see him, you know, dying in a blaze of glory, but that doesn't seem his style. He's not a big fighter. He's he's the smuggler. So I'm going to say he lives and something big happens. Do we see Tormund in the Wildings no. make any sort of reappearance in this final episode? No. I, what, I wish because I, I want more Tormund. What about Bronn? What the hell happens with him? now? Now that Cersei's gone... And Jamie's gone. He's got Tyrion left. That Tyrion promised Highgarden. Does he get Highgarden after all this? This is said and done from Tyrion and Sansa. I I think Bronn's gone. I I think the reason that that scene seemed so rushed and so weird was because they realized they didn't have time for him in either of the next two episodes. So that was kind of his right. What about Sam? I I don't think he should be. Actually, you know what? If you want to, he's do, heading back to the Citadel with Gilly. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think I think he that may was not the even be in this final. Right, episode. that was the write-off for Tormund for yes. Sam for yes. I think we're that's not right. Him. Yes, um, and Ghost too. Yes, and Ghost. Uh, Gendry, he's, he's he's the interest. He's the wild card in all this. He's off to the Stormlands. He to it, be the Lord of Storm's End. Well, we don't know that. We don't. No, we we know he was named the Lord of Storm's End, but I. I think he was maybe in that caravan going south. I don't know. We don't know exactly where he is. And if you want a true wild card who sits on the throne, there's your wild card right there. Because he's of Baratheon blood. Yes. 
You don't want Targaryen. You know, you want you want nothing to do with the Targaryens after this. You you know, yeah, Robert wasn't the best, but at least he was on the throne. You have you know, a Stark sitting on the throne, there would be no precedent for. And you know, the Lord of you know the the world of Game of Thrones likes their precedent. There's the precedent for a Baratheon on the throne. So there's your wild card right there. Lot to consider here for the final episode. Um, have we forgotten anybody? I mean, uh, I, I've, I've read different theories. People think that the Night King is somehow going to be resurrected. I don't see well, that there's happening. Some people are talking about, um, you know, Bran is the Night King. Some, you know, weird things. With that. Here's, here's I hope the, it doesn't get weird, weird in that way. Here's the weird thing. You've set up, you very clearly set up the Bran can warg, Bran can go back in time for a reason. Like, you did the whole thing with Hodor for a reason. We haven't seen that paid off yet. Are we going to see something this episode with Bran? And is that the reason he ends up like? Is he going to warg into Drogon? Is he going to do something? Are we going? Is it going to turn out that he's the reason why Daenerys went crazy because he got into her head or something? He was looking at the Mad King and then looking at into Daenerys at the same time. Like they they've had this big Chekhov's gun here with Bran, and they haven't pulled that trigger yet. Uh, so it's just a couple more thoughts. Number one. Um, you know, brown eyes, blue eyes, green eyes. Obviously, for Arya, that would mean Daenerys. Yes. Um, because that's what's left there. Um, I, I'm also looking forward to seeing what the hell happens with Tyrion for free, for freeing Jaime. If there's a consequence to pay for Tyrion. I think Tyrion lives. I've said that. But I'm wondering if there is a consequence I for think that. there's going... She's going to want a consequence, but she's never going to get at yeah, it. Tyrion's not going back to... Which, again, her. is why it's it, another reason why, you know, rushing this, we're missing out yes. on some of that stuff. Um, we uh, it's still... There's going to be a a. I don't know if it'll play out this way, but Sansa could certainly spend the first fifteen minutes of Sunday night with "I told you so" to everybody, to Tyrion, to John, to everybody. Um, I, I'd like some of those conversations. She's the one that's had it right from the jump, going back to season seven. Um, Will Arya's change, face-changing ability play any role in this final episode? I personally hope not. Yeah. I, I just want it to be Arya. I want her to kill Daenerys if that's what's going to happen. And I want this, yeah. I personally think it would be satisfying to see the Starks survive and you know be on the throne and move forward from there. There's no forward, but if yeah. there's any sort of spinoff stuff, yeah. the, the the one big question I have coming off the last episode, you know, you had Varys sending out the letters. Will that come into play? And who shows up if well, so? you know, who would show up? Like, who did he send those to? That's the question. I mean, you know, we still, and I've brought this up many times. I'm actually surprised if Yara's arc ended with her saying goodbye to Theon and saying, you go to, you know, you go to Winterfell and help the Starks and I'm going to go back to the Iron Islands because Euron's gone and I can take back the Iron Islands. That's our home. But Yara has no reason to I, you're, turn you're right. against You're right. I, 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 the, the, I thought Yara would play a role in Euron's death. Yeah. That's what where I thought that she would be back in, in play. Um, what else? I mean, what else could get in the, I mean... What about the, what about Dorn? What about the Prince well, and, of Dorn? What's going on there? That's the question. Was that just a throwaway line to say, yeah, this kingdom's being rebuilt, that the Prince of Dorn is still a thing, or is that potentially are we actually going to get something out of Dorn finally? 
And are we absolutely sure that the Hound's dead, Cersei's dead, and Jamie's dead? Here's the interesting thing. Wouldn't For that... major characters, we've pretty much seen everybody's death. Like, with the exception of Stannis, who they, they cut to right. Brienne for, or they cut away from it, we've seen the death. And we very clearly didn't see the deaths for some of those characters. I'm going to say yes, because that would be really awful if they decided, nah, they're not actually dead. But they've left it open. Um, the uh, the quote from uh, from Weiss, I think it was, uh, a good story isn't a good story if you have a bad ending. We worry. We're going to find out, but it's, mm-hmm. it's very subjective, these things. I'll, but it, I'll tell you what. If Bran ends up sitting on the throne, I'm going to come in here all, all uh, fire and blood on Monday. Yeah, me too. Me too. He's, he's gotten annoying over uh, the last – over this season and in the end of the season before. Um, but he did serve a purpose. <laughs> because he served us, I the, guess. I, I mean, I guess Sam could have broken the news. He learned it, you know, at the Citadel. Um, but the two of them, uh, you know, figured it out, and I think that I mean, convinced that's, John. That's the most frustrating thing, and why it's the most frustrating thing overall for me this season is you had so many of these long arcs that seemed to be building for something that ended up being built for nothing. Yeah, you you have you have Bran, you have Jamie, you have I mean even Cersei like she went out with such a whimper that it almost feels like like what was the point of all this? And uh, that's that's the frustrating thing. I, I I I get that. I I totally I I get the Cersei death, and it's really Cersei's role in this entire final season was really insignificant. Not a lot of lines. There's just. It's, for somebody to have been so significant to this story for so long, and by the way, to be a compelling and intriguing, you know, evil, you know, queen, um, for for to end, I mean, we had five episodes, and I would, I haven't counted up her lines, but she was insignificant. I bet you she had less than fifteen minutes of screen time. It wasn't a lot. It wasn't a lot. Um, all right, so we'll be back Monday to talk about it. Have a great weekend, everybody.